Welcome to the Express Soul Health and Wellness Podcast. In each episode, you'll learn from experts about the best practices and technologies to live a happier, healthier, and hopefully a longer life. Here is your host, Claudia Erdinola. Welcome to Express All Health and Wellness Podcast. My name is Claudia Urdinola. I am a professional engineer with a passion for health and wellness. Every week, I bring experts on different areas of the health and wellness, and with them, you and I, we learn better ways to take care of our health, live longer, live happier, and express ourselves to the joy and perfection which we were created. Today's episode was brought to you by Espresso Coffee. Espresso Coffee is the brand of coffee that I created with your health in mind. Why to settle for those commercial, massively produced, available coffees on the market when you can have the purest, most delicious coffee that is good for you? And I'm going to tell you why it's good for you. This coffee is authentic coffee because I know where the coffees come from. I work directly with the, co with the coffee um, growers, little farmers that understand the value of the nature and every single element to give nutrition, to give the elements that the, the coffee plant needs to nurture every single of those beans that finally get here. Um, those are, are coffee plants that grow in volcanic soils, so they absorb all of the nutrients, all of the antioxidants that finally you're going to get in every cup. So this is organic sana. I have a signature blend that I call activate or activate in Spanish. And I have the Colombian gourmet. And this one is very special. It's called Sa Alma, which means soul. So this is the soul of the brand because it comes from a very special place in Colombia, South America, from the very high altitude mountains where the native Indian skogis um, grow these plants in a mystical way. For them, every bird, every tree, the water, the structure of the water, the purity of the soil creates the divinity in each of these beans that finally get to you. So go to my website, www.expressolcoffee.com and I leave in the description box an special code for you, my listeners. So you will have 15% off in your order. And remember, shipping is free after 50, so take advantage of that. Also for your convenience, we created the coffee pots that you have on each of the flavors. These are sustainable coffee pots, biodegradable. So please go to my website, expressolcoffee.com and order your delicious, healthy coffee right now. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Hussey. Dr. Stephen Hussey is a board-certified chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He has a bachelor's degree in health and wellness promotion from the University of North Carolina, Asheville, as well as a doctor of chiropractic and master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States. In addition to working as a chiropractor in clinical practice, Dr. Husi has worked with people all over the world, coaching them back to health. Uh, he sees the power of food lifestyle change, and personal environment modification change lives every day. He is the author of the book, Understanding the Heart, Surprising Insights into Evolutionary Origins of the Heart Disease and Why It Matters. So with us today, Dr. Stephen Hussey. We really value all of the information of the experts that we bring every week to our podcast. And we would like for you to subscribe to our channel. So please, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe here and hit the notification button so you will be notified every time we have new content in our channel. Also, follow us in all our social media outlets. Dr. Steven Hussey, how are you? Welcome to Express All Health and Wellness Podcast. 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. We're going to have a great conversation today. Get educated about what is your passion, your mission in life. And first, just please tell us what is your personal story? What was your health journey? What was that motivation to make you go deep and dive into this subject of learning how the heart works and learning on your own journey all of the myths and misconceptions about how the heart works? Yeah, I mean, just like a lot of people, I guess, um, or most people who who put something like that out into the world, it starts with my own personal health journey, you know, and you know, as a kid, like very young age, like two years old, um, I had a lot of like very inflammatory type conditions, you know, everything from um, asthma to allergies to, you know, um, irritable bowel syndrome. And I used to like break out in hives all over my body. Um, and the doctors really couldn't tell us why. They just put me on like, you know, allergy medications or prednisone or whatever. And um, ultimately that inflammation, um, you know, it ended up with uh, type one diabetes, you know, so where my body quote unquote attacked itself. And, and, uh, now my body no longer makes insulin. And I was diagnosed with that at nine years old. And, um, and so, yeah, my parents and I were just kind of thrown into this world of Western medicine where they were just helping us manage these conditions. Um, and didn't really know any better about anything else. Um, and so, you know, I was going to endocrinologists throughout my childhood because of the diabetes and, just, you know, it was, you know, heavily preached to me that I am at higher risk for heart disease or vascular disease of different areas of the body. So I was more prone to like going blind and having, you know, poor circulation and kidney issues and all these different things, um, you know, associated with, with circulation issues or damage to arteries. Uh, and so, you know, when I became an adult, um, two things happened. One, um, I really, you know, remembered all those, those messages. So I, you know, it was like, oh, I'm predisposed to heart disease. So I always kind of took an interest in heart disease and, and trying to learn all I could about that and prevent it. But also in college, I, I realized that, you know, I started to figure out that the way I live my life and what I chose to do lifestyle wise directly impacted my ability to manage these conditions. And I thought that it was interesting that no doctor had ever really told me that. They just told me to take my medications and uh, take more insulin if I ate, you know, um, but depending on what I ate. And so I found that interesting. And it's when I first started to try and get a little bit of doubt uh, in that system because I, I had planned on, you know, going to, to be a, a medical doctor. Um, but then I kind of lost um, faith in that a little bit when I, when I realized they didn't teach me a lot of the things that I was learning you know, about health and my, and my lifestyle. So I started to go different routes and explore different things. And, you know, I went and got a chiropractic degree and a master's degree in nutrition and functional medicine. And I thought that that was going to give me all the answers and everything. Uh, but it didn't, you know, they're just formal educations and they're, they're good. They're good baseline educations to have, but they don't really teach you, um, you know, what actually creates health in my opinion, uh, based on what I've found since. Uh, and so, so yeah, um, you know, I'm happy to say that, through all the changes I've made and lots of trial and error that I've done over the years, that all those inflammatory conditions are gone, um, except for the type one diabetes. I mean, that's kind of collateral damage that, uh, that, um, that happened and, uh, will be there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I, I started researching a ton about the heart and I found all this information that was very contrary to what I was either told was normal physiology, um, or told by doctors. And so I, eventually started sharing the information that I had uh, on social media and stuff and people seemed to like it. And so I wrote it down in a book, uh, which was my second book. And, uh, and now it's out there is understanding the heart is my book. And, uh, and here we are. Wonderful. Yes. We're going to talk about your book in a little while, but you mentioned something that caught my attention and you said that regardless of all that education that you were receiving, you were, understanding through your own journey, what creates health? What creates health, Dr. Hussein? Yeah. So largely when we look at like the health space or like, you know, the health field, whether it's medicine or just biohacking or whatever, it's, there's a lot of biochemistry, you know, the people lot talk a lot about biochemistry, whether it's from, you know, nutrition aspect or a pharmaceutical aspect or a supplement aspect. We talk a lot about 
um, chemistry, biochemistry. And there's a whole another aspect to human physiology that is, I would say, more biophysics. Um, like, so we're talking about light and magnetism and electricity and things like that. And those aspects of, of life, uh, not just humans, but of life in general and, and how life works. And so we have to pay attention to those things as well. Um, but I started to learn, you know, early on, it was mainly diet and exercise focus. I mean, that's what the, that's the main message you get about health is diet and exercise is what makes health. And that is part of it, but it's definitely not the biggest part of it. Uh, and so you know, eventually or initially it started as, you know, me just making better diet changes. And I found that it was easier to control blood sugars for me as a type one diabetic. Um, and you know, that if I, the more active I was, the better I felt, but also the easier it was to control blood sugars. And so it was just kind of, that's how the experiment started for me. Um, but you know, since, since then I've learned that it's incredibly important to pay attention to different toxin exposures or, your electromagnetic field environment or your light and circadian rhythm, or, you know, not just, not just, um, what you eat, but when you eat, um, and what time uh, of the day and, and, you know, when your eating window is like, all those things are really, really important. Um, and you could go on and on. There's so many different aspects of our modern lifestyles that are either positive or negatively affecting our health. Um, and, but it's all about signals from the environment. You know, your body's not programmed, uh, to, to maintain health on its own. Like your genes aren't there programmed to, to just maintain health. It, it, they're all getting signals from the environment. And so we have to give it the right signals, whether that's food or light or magnetism or whatever it is, we have to give our bodies the right signals to create that health. And, you know, there's, I guess, a lot of information and, and debate on what the correct environmental signals are. Um, but, uh, and lots of it is ignored by medicine completely. You know, medicine is very, focused on this biochemical approach because that's what pharmaceuticals do. They affect biochemistry. And so if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> so true. And, and especially, uh, again, I am an immigrant. I am a Colombian American. And when I came to America about 18 years ago to live permanently, I noticed I was very surprised to see all of the commercials on TV. It was over and over and over. It was pill after pill. Oh, do you have pain in your legs? You may talk to your doctor about this medicine. They were putting all of those things on your face. And I was, I talked to my husband. I was just like, why is so much focus into the pharmaceuticals? Honey, everybody's watching TV at this time. They have the people captured. They like to push these medicines and actually creating in their minds the images that maybe because they are feeling pain in their, in their, in their legs or whatever it is, they need this pill. So it's, it's a lot of, I would say it is deep into the general culture, especially here in America, the, the pill fix. It's a appeal for every single thing. And my next question, I think, is, is a little bit related with, a, with the bigger picture here. And again, I came from a very small economy and country, which is Colombia, South America. When I came to here, America is my wow country. I love this country very deeply. And, and when I see the annual spending on the healthcare, we're talking about over $4 trillion on 2000. 23 alone, and I see that 80% of that spending is dedicated to chronic illnesses, one way or the other, to treat, to address, to, I mean, 80% on chronic illnesses in the number one economy in the world. So despite of all of those resources and technical advances, why our population in America is getting sicker and sicker? Yeah, it's because the the methods that we're using are not effective, right? So it may be very money generating uh, as far as pharmaceutical companies and hospital systems and uh, insurance companies, like that's kind of the trifecta that the money gets passed around between. Um, so maybe that system may be very profitable for those, um, uh, those uh, players there, but it's not very effective for creating health. Um, and so, you know, you it's could more say- sick system that a healthcare system right yeah it's focusing on it's waiting for people to get sick and then treating their symptoms um for the most part with 
with drugs, uh, which are never going to create health. They're only going to like, you can't really go force the body uh, to do something different without having an effect somewhere else. Like we want to give the body signals to create health on its own um, for those genes to express themselves in healthy ways. Um, rather than just wait for a symptom to happen, say it's pain or whatever, and then try and block the pain signal. We want to stop why the pain's happening. We don't just want to just block the pain signal and hope that it goes away on its own, you know? So, and that's the idea behind a pharmaceutical, um, is that it just treats a symptom, uh, of, of you know, di different types. And then it never really focuses on the underlying problem. So then you get repeat customers, like as far as the healthcare system goes. Um, because you never fixed their problem. So the problem is allowed to persist, even though you're blocking the system. And then they, they get a, a more serious problem later and you have to do the next treatment and the next treatment. So people are just in and out of this, this healthcare system, the sick care system, um, creating lots and lots of money for the system. So very profitable. And if you look at those systems, you could choose to say, well, you know, those, those players, those hospital systems and pharmaceutical companies are just, you know, trying to make money, just like anybody in a capitalist society, we're trying to make money because that's how we buy our livelihood and we buy the things we need. And so the company's just looking out for their bottom line. However, you look at how they look out for their bottom line sometimes, and it, it does seem quite nefarious um, or at least um, negligent uh, as far as like they see what their products are doing and how it's not fixing and how it's treating people and they don't make changes. Um, and so that can seem kind of, um, you know, uh, not, not the best behavior as far as, as far as companies are concerned. Um, but that's I just kind of the system that's, yeah, that's just the system that everybody's kind of set up in. And so unless we consumers, which are the patients demand a better product and stop feeding that system, then it's just going to perpetuate itself, you know? Um, so that's just how the system is set up. Seems to me. And again, this is my observation. I came from another, I'm, I come from outside, from another country. When I see what happens in how they, they push into um, this system that is really treating like, like the out, like, like the, like the superficial manifestations of the illness. And that's why the pharmaceuticals, you're right, they created a repeat, like, like a constant patient that is going to be there on over and over and over again and not the cause i can see that the focus is more into treat the disease when it's there but not finding out what's happening what is the prevention part so i said like because i have been also a user of the of the system of the healthcare system here in the u.s uh, acute care is excellent i mean fixing the broken hey best you go to emergency rooms, did know how to do that, you know, broken bone. I mean, I live in a farm. I, I saw this all the time. Fix what is broken. But in terms of prevention, I think our, our health system is, it falls short. And then I really think is when, when all of these spaces, like, like our podcast is about prevention, empowering people to stay healthy. What you can do from your own and from your own house with your family in your power to keep yourself healthy, prevent it yourself for you know other diseases to happen. So as you say, you start sharing your, your stories, you start sharing on social media, people start listening. You know why? Because there is a lot of value into information that that it, it works. It works for you and for many others. It worked for me. So. Um, I will say that that is the value of all of these channels. In your opinion, do you think that uh, sharing this information with an audience, people that are, you know, driving right now, listening to our podcast, they're listening to your story, they start relating to that and, and understanding that there is more that we can have in a four-minute appointment with a doctor on a traditional uh, healthcare system in America. Yeah, so that's that's how we create the change. You know, like if uh, if people don't know there's another option, then you know people are trained from a very young age that you know you get some sort of illness or symptom that and it bothers you enough that you go to the doctor and the doctor has the solution for you. You know, and unfortunately that's not always the case, and the solutions they have are not always the best. And so unless we educate people. Um, on different ways and how to take care of themselves and, and how to prevent 
um, these things from happening in the first place, then we're never going to change the system. You know, if we keep relying on, if we keep waiting till symptoms happen and then relying on a system that doesn't really fix those symptoms, but it's the only one we have, then we keep putting money into that system. We keep it alive, right? You know, if, if, if everyone, you know, today decided that they hated the way that, um, McDonald's made hamburgers, um, and they just didn't buy them anymore. Guess what McDonald's would do? They would change the way they make hamburgers. Absolutely. They would, they would Absolutely. try and find a way that they could sell them again. And so that's exactly what it's like. The healthcare system is, is a business just like McDonald's. Um, you know, if, if the people demanded a better product and they stopped feeding the system with money, then they'll change. They will change. So we people have the power. You know, we can step back and be so angry at, at doctors and insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies, or we can just make other decisions, keep ourselves healthy and, and stay out of that system as much as we can. Um, and, and that will cost them money and they'll change. Um, but we have to do so on, on a very grand scale because there's a lot of pull, a lot of money uh, in that system that they can use. So on marketing and things like that, like you're talking about these commercials and stuff. So, um, it would take, it would take a lot of people to, to do that. I know, but especially for us consumers, I think it's a lot of responsibility from our end to not only get informed, very well informed. We have devices that walk with us, live with us, literally. We have our phones that we manage offices, work, family, and everything else related through our phones. Information is our fingertips. So I think it's just empowering the people to look for the information and take action because it's not only listening and listening podcasts and information that can be very useful if you don't practice. I mean, it's, it's very little changes, but one after another after another one can be, um, you know, life changing for many people. So my question to you, the next one, I hear, and this is, uh, Part of, I think, the, what you were mentioning, a lot of misunderstandings and um, things that you learn in, in, during your times of education, receiving all of this very nice education, but also learning that some of the systems don't work exactly as they were teaching you. So one of the misunderstandings and people in the public talk about it is cholesterol. Dr. Husi, why cholesterol creates so much confusion is really... A good cholesterol, a bad cholesterol, and cholesterol is the cause of arteriosclerosis. Can we tell our audience what is arteriosclerosis, what, what really causes, and it, if, col if cholesterol really is the bad actor here? Yeah. So this idea, well, you know, so back in the 1950s, you know, after World War II, um, heart disease was on the rise. You know, before that, prior to that, like in the uh, in the early 1900s, all the way to the 20s, like heart disease wasn't really that prevalent of a thing. Um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't an American Heart Association. There wasn't any of that. There was the field of cardiology was very small. Um, and then around after World War II, you know, heart disease was rising um, in prevalence and President Eisenhower had a heart attack. And so, you know, scientists out there were, were trying to find a reason for this. They were trying to figure out what's causing heart disease and trying to figure out what causes heart attacks. And, and so, um, this one scientist named Ansel Keys came up with this theory based on some unsound science, I would say, uh, that the higher amount of saturated fat and cholesterol in your diet that you ate, that the more heart disease you have, that cholesterol would accumulate on the lining of the arteries. Um, and that's what causes the plaque in the arteries and causes the hardening of the arteries over time. And, you know, like I said, the, the research on that was unsound. And matter of fact, when they tested that research after the theory had already taken off, they tested that research with different clinical trials. And they found that the more saturated fats you ate, actually the healthier you were. But by that time, when they found those out, they just didn't really publish them or they published them years later in small journals. So nobody really read them. Um, because the theory that cholesterol did cause heart disease had, um, already had a lot of financial backing from the food industry, like the grain and cereal industry and the sugar industry. Um, but also the pharmaceutical industry had a lot of backing behind it because they had a drug that could lower cholesterol in the blood. So if you could blame cholesterol on something, then they could sell a lot of that drug. And to this day, statin drugs are one of the highest prescribed drugs out there. One of the, the biggest money makers for pharmaceuticals. You know, this theory has stuck because there's been a lot of financial backing behind it. 
Um, but in reality, that's not what causes heart disease. Cholesterol, there's no, there's no situation where one molecule in the body can cause a complex chronic condition, but also there's no evidence that there's no, there's no any instance in time where cholesterol just says, okay, I'm going to go get into the lining of the artery and just stay there because that's what I do. That, that just doesn't happen. There always has to be something happening before that. But even if you look at and you analyze um, atherosclerosis, which is, you know, when, when there's clotting tissue on the lining of the artery, when you analyze that, that's what it is. It's clotting tissue. It's not an accumulation of cholesterol. Um, so when we analyze that, there's very little cholesterol present because when a clot happens, you know, whatever else is around sometimes gets caught up in it. So if there's cholesterol around, it can get caught up in it. Um, but it's when the body decides to put clotting tissue on the lining of the artery. So it's similar to like, if you cut your skin and you're bleeding, then your body forms a scab, it forms a clot, right? So that that bleeding stops. And it's the same kind of thing. If you get damaged to the lining of the artery from various things that cause inflammation and oxidative stress and damage to the lining of the artery, then your body has to repair that. Um, and if it can't repair that through normal mechanisms, uh, like insulin signaling and just, um, growth of the the endothelia, then, um, then, uh, it forms clotting tissue. And that's what atherosclerosis is. It's when the body forms clotting tissue on the lining of the artery. Sometimes, you know, cholesterol could contribute if there's a lot of cholesterol and it becomes damaged. Um, but the things that damage cholesterol are also the things that damage the lining of the artery. So it's not the cholesterol that's driving it. It's the inflammation and oxidative stress that's creating damage to everything, um, that's around. So, you know, your, your damaged cholesterol could be an indicator that you may be more prevalent or have more risk of atherosclerosis, but that's only because that's just sensing inflammation and oxidative stress. It's not that the cholesterol is this damaging thing. Um, it's just that the, the, the mechanisms that create that damage are already there. Um, so there's lots of different things that could cause inflammation and oxidative stress Got and lead it. to atherosclerosis. So if the cholesterol is not the bad actor here, and actually on the contrary, as you just explained, this is uh, actually better for you. Um, what are other factors that really are big players into the inflammation and oxidative stress that causes the blockages on, on the arteries if it's not cholesterol? Yeah, so there's lots of different things that can cause this inflammation. So one major one that you know people know affects their health, but they don't really, it's not really emphasized that much is psychological stress. If you look at you know acute stress, um, all the, all the clotting factors in the blood go way up during an acute stress. So chronic stress, you're going to have higher clotting factors, um, chronically rather than just an acute situation. Um, so that kind of thing. Um, but also, you know, heavy metal exposures, uh, just different toxin exposures, like everything from plastics, um, to, um, to even, uh, glyphosate, um, glyphosate to, you know, even various, uh, plant toxins that, um, herbicides and pesticides and things like that. So um, all those different things can create an inflammatory situation in the body uh, that can damage arteries. But even things like endotoxemia, which is when the wrong type of bacteria get into the bloodstream, like from leaky gut or poor dental health, um, that's when those bacteria can leak into the gut. Um, but even even things like air pollution, like different just different toxins like that. But, you know, an inflammatory diet. So if you're eating a diet that creates a lot of inflammation or you're eating a lot of vegetable oils that are easily oxidized, they can become, um, you know, damaging players to the lining of the artery. Um, so lots of different lots of different things, but even like a lack of energy to the body. So a lack of it's not necessarily that we, we don't get um, all of our energy from food. People think we need to eat to get energy. And that's one way that we get some energy. But we also get energy from sunlight. And from the ground, uh, from the earth, like putting your feet directly on the earth and from moving your body can create energy in the body um, through a piezoelectric effect. So like those different aspects of how we create electron flow that creates ATP are very, very important because if we're trying to get all our energy from food, then we end up overeating calories, um, which can be an issue depending on the type of calories. Um, but if we're not getting energy from the rest of our environment that like we should be, which we're very divorced from natural light and the earth and things like that these days, um, it can be a problem. Okay. And I got that because, you know, and we, we talk about those various things here in my podcast, because I emphasize the fact that, uh, the normal people, us living in, in, you know, in suburban areas, in, in cities, 
our style of lives are around the city life, the modern life. We, we, I mean, I, I used to live in a farm and that's amazing. I can go back, you know, if I want to, I'm right now my, I'm established in the city. So being at the city, we need to, uh, understand that we have to create kind of like those situations when we have to reconnect with nature and get away from all of those factors that are draining our energy instead of giving us energy. And we're talking about all of the electromagnetic, artificial electromagnetic fields and artificial lights. We're not walking barefoot on the ground as much as we used to when we were living in, in more um, rural areas, back, 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 back when our ancestors were in these lands. So I will say that we need to create more consciousness of people that being around nature, with nature, even if you have to go over the weekends, I mean, try to get parks and places where you can do this, these practices. It's not only like they've seen this, oh, this is the yoga people that like that. Oh, this is no, 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 no. It is scientific evidence that for the functioning of a biological being, not only humans, we need those things. Definitely. Yeah. And it's just our, and like when you start to realize that, and then you see how most people or, or majority of people are removed from those types of environment, you start to understand, oh, this is why chronic disease is so prevalent because we've removed ourselves from those signals, those environmental signals that literally tell your body how to, how to be healthy, um, tell your body what time it is, you know, where it is on the earth and what to do. And if it doesn't get those signals, we can't really expect it to do much else besides express symptoms of illness. Absolutely right. And now basically um, what I was, I was actually listening where you were coming from because you had an evolution from the before you to the now you healthier and more an understanding of how our biology works. You're right. Right now we have all of this explosion of information about the biohacking. Hey, I'm number one. I'm there reading every single thing, listening, every practicing as much as possible peptides or minerals or this or that. Uh, my infrared sauna that I love and adore. I mean, I talk about all of those things here all the time, but I would like for you to share with us what were those major changes that you implemented in from your previous life? And let's talk about food to bring you back to health? Where were those major changes in your dietary, uh, you know, protocols that now you say, because of those changes, I brought myself to healthier me? What were those changes? The major one, and the one that I think that most people can do, and and, like, because there's all these diet factions out there. There's people that say, oh, carnivore or paleo or keto or vegan, or there's always different things. And the most important thing for people to understand is that you don't need to be in any certain faction. And, and, and you know, there's, there's, um, you know, there's some that are, they're better than others, I would say. Um, but the most important thing is to eat whole foods, you know, even like, I don't advocate a plant-based diet. I don't think anybody should eat a plant-based diet or, or a plant only diet, but you know, if, people do see improvements on those types of diets because they go from a standard American diet full of processed foods to whole foods, right? And so you have to focus on that. If you remove things like vegetable oils and grains and processed sugars and added sugars and things, then that's probably 75% of the battle. Like just remove those toxic foods, those foods that are pretty much alien to our body. Our body doesn't know how to get information or nutrients from those types of foods, those processed foods. And you just start eating whole foods um, you know, that you, that you prepare yourself in your kitchen and you stop adding these toxic ingredients or eating things with toxic ingredients. Um, and then you, I would say, focus more on animal foods because those are more, they have more nutrients that we can absorb as humans based on our digestive system. And so if you, if you do that, you whole foods and you focus on animal foods, then you've, that's really all you, you need to do for most people, um, for diet. Now there's some people that, are only going to experience health if they go, you know, super low carb, which for me is really helpful because I'm type one diabetic. I'm trying to manage blood sugar. So super low carb is, is a good idea for, um, and there's some people that are going to benefit from going hundred percent animal foods, you know, but it's just, it's going to be different for the person. So we shouldn't be dogmatic about it. We should just know that you got to remove those toxic processed foods and eat whole foods 
and you're going to do yourself a lot of favors. And then the other important thing about food is not just what you eat, but when you eat it. There's studies that show that when you eat is actually more important than what you eat. Um, there's studies that show in mice and in humans that they didn't change what they ate at all. They ate, you know, however many calories and whatever type of calories they were, but all they did was change the eating window and that earlier in the day. So eating earlier in the day. So like within 30 minutes of waking and then 12 hours or less from then you close that window. So you don't eat, you know, three, four hours prior to bedtime. Um, do just doing that had huge impacts on metabolic health. Um, and so I would also argue that what you eat is important as well. And if you do that, you're going to get even more benefits. Um, but there's studies that show that just when you eat is, is really, really important. So everybody talks about intermittent fasting, which is really important. Um, but oftentimes people, um, will do the fasting later in the day you know, where I feel like they should do it earlier in the day. I think that's a little better. Um, you know, and everybody's got, you know, they're going to meet them where they can, like if later in the day is going to be what they start with, that's great. But we try and shift that to earlier in the day eventually. Um, that eight to 12 hour window, um, earlier in the day. Um, so, so just those types of changes are things that I was able to figure out, especially as a type one, I figured out that it was easier to eat earlier in the day because if I ate later in the day, um, and then I went to sleep, then, then, uh, I couldn't manage blood sugars. I couldn't figure out what it was doing at night because I was asleep. So for me, it was just easier to eat earlier in the day so that the food, when I was digesting it and it was hitting my bloodstream, I was awake to manage whatever was happening. But, uh, but I've since found out that that's better for most people. So, um, so yeah, that was a big one as far as food goes, but it was just, you know, a lot of trial and error with different foods, um, and with different ways of eating. Cause I went through you know, lots of different ways of eating and I've settled on a very high animal foods diet, uh, with, with vegetables in season. Uh, and, uh, and that's what I do now. Wonderful. I hear uh, in one of your interviews that you shared um, that you were totally carnivore for a couple of years and that really took away a lot of your chronic inflammation and a lot of problems that you had because of your um, diabetes. But then when you start implementing some other foods that you wanted to give your, your microbiome a little bit more variation and stuff, you notice that you were already healed, so you were more tolerant to implementing those new foods. I thought that was very oh, interesting. Oh, I, I was like fully carnivore for probably a year and a half, two years, somewhere in there. Um, and it was the first time in my life where I felt like I had no digestive issues because I had, like my digestive issues had gotten way better when I changed diet otherwise. And it was almost, almost non-existent, but it was still there. Um, and, uh, but when I went carnivore, it was, it completely went away. It was the first time I said, I didn't even know what it was like to not have digestive issues until then. And then, so then, you know, I, I did that for a while. And then, um, I, I slowly started implementing, you know, some, um, plant foods back in. And I noticed that, um, I've been fine since I did that. Like I still don't have any digestive issues. It's almost like I allowed my gut to heal with that, that carnivore diet by removing, um, you know, not just plant toxins, but also different light environments stored in plant foods or different types of pesticides or things that may be sprayed on plant foods, even though I eat organic. But those types of things, removing those and allowing my gut to heal helped it so that it could tolerate those things in the appropriate amounts after it did heal. Similar at my journey with the carnivore diet, because you're talking about a nine and a half year vegetarian. Oh my God. And then <laughs> I had... I'm a professional engineer and I had a contract. It was in a very remote area uh, connecting two cities with a major highway. And because we have a remote area, we're basically open a new road. We didn't have any places to get a good source of food. So I was eating rice and plantains and occasionally beans. That was all that I was eating during the day. I get malnutrition. And then when I went to the doctor, he said, wonderful. I see your test results here. Claudia had a solution for you. I said, really? I was waiting for him to give me pills or whatever. You have to eat meat again. So since I started eating meat again, all of those problems went away. Um, and I was on a carnivore diet for about probably full time about with my husband about a year. Now we same, he, he trimmed and he lose a lot of the visceral fat and we get more in shape. It was wonderful. And now it's perfect because now we can implement some other, you know, I like, for example, uh, sprouted 
uh, broccoli sprouts and I mix with some uh, fermented vegetables, no carbs or low, low, low carbs is best for us. Window of time, 16, um, 18, 4, 18, 5, 18, 6. We, we do variations on the windows of time for eating, but um, normally nor anything after 5, 5.30 p.m. is the kitchen is closed, which is easier for me. <laughs> but those things make a big change in, in, in our diets and we can attest of that. So what you're saying has is, is totally valid and I think is as important what we eat at the time that we eat. We are accustomed to eat too much too often and that's not a good thing. And another thing that it was amazing is that by eating the animal foods, the society, I mean, amazing. You trim your body, you get healthy, you get in better shape eating until you feel full instead of like, oh my God, I'm still hungry, but I already eat my 1,500 calories. Oh my gosh, I'm hungry. That's torture and that's not sustainable. I mean, I, I live in a farm and none of my animals like to be hungry. I can tell you that. Naturally, humans and biological beings don't like to be hungry. You want to eat until you feel that you satisfies your, your, your hunger and your systems, but you have to satisfy it with, with appropriate food. So thank you for that. I think it was very valid. So now let's talk about something that really, 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 really intrigues me because I want to get more into your book. And I think this is something that um, I want my audience to pay attention because if you have the opportunity to read this book, I think it would be amazing. It is called Understanding the Heart, Surprising Insights into the Evolutionary Origins of Heart Disease and Why It Matters. So you went into a very, very great deal of investigating and getting deep into how the heart works. We talked about this before with Dr. Tom Cowan. You may know him. He um, talked about the heart not being a pump which I can understand that and um, in how the whole system in, in with our little vessels, arteries and veins work in compass with the heart to move the blood all around the body. I would like for you, Dr. Jose, to give us your best way of telling our audience, forget about the heart, it's just the heart. It's not only the heart. Is not located here and that's it, isolated as traditional medicine has tell us. It's just the heart. Heart disease is only the heart. Why all of that peripheral, all of the system is so important and how everything works together and why it's so important that we pay attention to these factors as nutrition, uh, stress, and other uh, components that you mentioned here are so important into the health of the heart. Yeah. So, I mean, the heart system. is, it, it has the, so mitochondria in our bodies that make ATP. Um, they, they also, they also give off light, also give off electromagnetism, uh, electromagnetic field. Um, they're what, they're what give the body this electromagnetic field. And the heart has some of the highest uh, density of mitochondria in the entire body, which gives us a, gives it a very high electromagnetic field. So it has an electromagnetic field that's um, Tell our little, audience little what is structures in our cells yes. that um, you know make our energy or make our ATP, which does various things in the body. So they use they use electrons from different um, environmental sources, whether it's food or light or you know, contact with the earth, to um, you know, to generate the production of ATP and structured water um, and things like that. And so those things also generate magnetism, electromagnetism. And so the heart has the highest electromagnetic field of anything in the entire body. It's it's 5,000 times stronger than the brain, which you'd think the brain would give out this high electromagnetic field because it's very electrical in nature, but it's actually the heart. And so the heart is the only uh, organ in the body that can, uh, you know, quote unquote, touch through this elect electromagnetic field, every other cell in the body. So it is it's kind of the driver of what creates coherence in the body. So coherence is when all aspects of a living system are are kind of on the same page. And when they're all on the same page, they can do what's best for the system as a whole, right? So if we don't have good coherence, 
then certain tissues of the body may be acting what's in the best interest for themselves, or certain cells may act in the best interest for themselves, which, you know, to me sounds like cancer, a cancer cells not doing what's best for the whole. Um, it's just, you know, rapidly dividing and doing what's best for it. Um, whereas if we create coherence, um, then that doesn't happen because the whole system is communicating and operating in a way that's what creates the system, the health of the system for, so that it can sustain itself. And so the ultimate measure of coherence, we measure actually through the heart, which is called heart rate variability. So your measure of how well your body is intercommunicating and acting as, in what's best for a whole is measured through heart rate variability. Um, and you know, heart rate variability, you know, can be described or is described by a lot of people as balance in the autonomic nervous system, which is the system that's perceiving our environment and telling us if we're in a safe or stressful environment. And so, but it's also this, this signal that the heart is giving because the heart can touch every cell in the body that, hey, let's be coherent. Let's be all working together uh, as an organized system. Um, and so it's really, really important for, to keep our hearts healthy and to keep that heart rate variability where it should be so that we are communicating this coherence. Cause, cause health is all about, communication you know it's about you know like i said like what are you communicating to your body as far as the environment you know what do you what is your um is that health of of uh you know your heart communicating to the body to work as one cohesive unit are the cells able to intercommunicate with each other um because even if there's a cell right next to a cell but it can't communicate with it it thinks it's on its own right so um it's all about maintaining that communication um between different aspects of our of our um you know physical system that we that we call a living thing so the coherence between all of those components electricity magnetism light or what about the blood what about the structure of the blood the component of the water how important is that structure of the water in creating yeah. that um, biochemistry that yeah helps, so um the heart not just doesn't just communicate through um you know the electromagnetic field that it gives off it also communicates through the vascular system which is why it's so hooked up with it so it can send signals um through it because the the blood is electrolyte rich so it's very conductive right so it can send those electrical signals through the the fluid but we know that electricity travels through water right because we can if we if we're in a swimming pool i say get out because if lightning strikes the water then it goes everywhere so we know that it can travel that way and the heart does the same thing so that that electrical pulse that um tells the heart to contract is also being conveyed throughout the, the vascular system um but also water is just unique in that it has the ability to structure itself uh, when it gets next to a hydro or a uh, hydrophilic or water loving surface. So if there's energy to the water, because water can hold energy, radiant energy from like the sun and, and the earth and things. Um, and it gets next to a hydrophilic surface, a water loving surface, it will actually rearrange its water molecules or it's um, the components of it, the molecular structure and become what's called fourth phase water or exclusion zone water or structured water. And it's just, it's, it's not solid or liquid like ice or water. It's more like a gel. So you can kind of think like jello and that's the structure of water. And so since the blood is about half water, um, then when, uh, and the artery is a hydrophilic surface, then when it, when the blood or the water in the blood gets next to the artery, it can structure itself on the line of the artery. And that's important for two reasons. Um, or it's important to have healthy structured water on the lining of the artery for two reasons. One is that it protects the artery because the reason it's called exclusion zone water is because it really keeps away anything that's not it, right? So it kind of excludes everything away from the artery wall um, if it's there. And then the other thing is, is that because of the way structured water forms, the, the, um, the area of structured water on the lining of the artery is very electronegative. And then it leaves very, a uh, very positive um, uh, area of, because of the hydrogen ions that were cleaved off of the water next to that. So this positive and negative next to each other, that's a battery. So that creates, you know, we all see the, the positive and negative charges on the battery and we put them in something, right? So that's how a battery works is it creates that charge separation that creates energy, that creates work. And so, um, and so that's what happens in the lining of the artery. It creates that situation and that promotes blood flow that creates blood flow. Um, so not only is that important for, you know, delivering oxygen and nutrients to our tissues, but it's also very important for, um, preventing clotting because when, when there's stagnant blood or poor flowing blood, that's a situation where clotting is more likely to happen. Um, and so creating good blood flow 
by maintaining this structured water on the lining of the artery is very, very important. Um, and so the way that we do that is by getting radiant energy to the system, which again, is putting your feet on the earth. It's getting sunlight exposure. It's moving your body to the point of creating heat. Um, those types of things are going to increase the amount of structure. It's creating mitochondrial health because mitochondria that are healthy are producing structured water. So all those things are super important. And those are just things you're not talked about. It's all focused on cholesterol. You know, everybody talks about cholesterol and heart disease when in reality, these things are way more important in my opinion, as far as preventing atherosclerosis and clotting, which is what heart attacks are um, and that kind of stuff. So super important. Super important. And also you, you mentioned it earlier during our conversation, the importance of the light. We are a means of light. We need the sunlight, the infrared. And then I want to talk about the infrared saunas, dog, because I'm telling you, if God is telling me, Claudia, I'm taking you with me and I know you can take anything with you, but because you're nice, I gonna let you take one of your belongings with you. I'm taking my infrared sauna with me to heaven. I adore that machine. And it's for a reason. I can attest of all of the good benefits of getting there every night. And I do. Um, very rare is the day that I don't get there most of the times, even when I come from traveling at the time that I'm arriving on my house, I throw my suitcases, put my, my infrared sauna to heat up, get there and sweat. It's extremely, extremely beneficial for the cardiovascular health. I mean, I want you to tell us why and why people are not talking more about an intervention that our you know, Native Americans and Native in Central America and South America and all over the world knew that that this uh, benefits of, of, you know, receiving the heat, heating up the body, bringing the coherence that you mentioned. Yeah, it's incredibly so important. important. For um, to function. So let's talk about the infrared. Yeah, so, you know, explaining all that stuff about how light, you know, energizes water it would make sense that a certain light therapy would, would affect that water. And so infrared sauna or infrared light is the most absorbed by water. So when we look at the water's ability to hold energy, infrared is what allows it to hold the most energy. And so the original source of infrared is from the sun, you know, so sunrise and sunset have higher infrared light. Um, but when you talk about the sauna, we can get this more therapeutic dose within the modern world, right? And so it's, when you look at the research on infrared sauna use and, and things like heart failure and atherosclerosis, I am just so confused about why they're not used in cardiology everywhere. Um, because the research is so profound as far as like its effects on, um, you know, preventing or treating heart failure, but also healing the lining of the artery because which makes complete sense because in heart failure, the blood's not flowing like it's supposed to. We're starting to get pulling up a fluid. The heart's expanding because it's forced to be more of a, a pump than it's supposed to be. And so when we get that infrared light on there and we get the blood moving, it takes pressure off the heart. The heart size decreases, goes back to normal. The swelling goes down in the tissues. Um, the ejection fractions increase. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And then we look at, you know, the exclusion zone water, the structured water, um, protects the arteries. And so we look at the studies on infrared sauna and, um, uh, the, the artery health, and they've been, they've shown to have been able to, um, heal the lining of the arteries and increase nitric oxide production, which is what happens when you have healthy arterial linings, you get more nitric oxide. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's incredibly beneficial, but not only that, heating the body in general is, is, can be a beneficial thing that kind of that hormetic stress can give you a, um, a good response when you're, you're making more antioxidants then, but also the detoxification effects of it, because there's lots of studies that show that, that when you sweat using an infrared sauna, you, you, um, uh, you, uh, push out more, um, heavy metals and things like that. Um, you detoxify better, um, than if you just go for a run or something like that. But like, you know, just like the, like the finished saunas where you just like the steam saunas where you just get hot, like that's beneficial too. But the infrared light is more beneficial as far as the, the vascular system because it structures the water onto the lining of the arteries. Um, so there's just, you know, amazing benefits from, from infrared sauna. And it's just something that within our modern world, 
is is really really useful as far as like combating all the insults of the modern world and just the fact that we're not out in that uh infrared light as much as we should be in the sun I and mean, if you can do that that's that's always good but if you can't and you and you can you know take 15 20 minutes a day and you can sit in the sauna that's that's going to be huge you know um so so yeah i can't you know emphasize enough how important uh infrared sauna use can be for for health love it Love it. We had here at my podcast a Dr. Uh, Riley Duncan. Um, he's the pioneer on the Clear Light Sonas. His company is Clear Light Sonas. And actually, I have an affiliate code here in the description box of this podcast. Anybody that wants to get one sauna can get it with my code with $600 off the price. But he was telling us, Dr. Duncan, that 30 plus years ago, when he started doing all of this research on the infrared saunas, and he started collecting a lot of data and actually supplying the, the, the saunas for clinical trials. Today, 30 years after he started his journey building these amazing machines, now we got data telling us that about 45% of the mortality rate on cardiovascular disease are prevented if you use the, the sauna more than four times a week. And 40% reduction of overall cause of death if you use the cardio the, the, the sauna four to five times in a week. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Most of the gyms in, in America have a, a, a sauna, an, an infrared sauna now. There is so convenient and small, and, and anybody can have it now. But the implications are so big, and not only for cardiovascular diseases, also for, you know, degenerative diseases and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and it's because of the detoxification is so big. Actually, he was telling us, okay, in a protocol of losing weight, let's say people, it is, it is a way that you can, you know, basically address to reduce the, the visceral fat, but you need a mechanism to move it through the, to the bloodstream and eliminate it. And the saunas are very effective on doing that. <laughs> uh, again, I'm taking mine with Good me plan. to heaven. Good plan. Not a joke. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, I, I want to finish our conversation here, Dr. Hussein. Empowering our audience with a message because all that we're doing here is bringing this information. Every week I bring a different expert in different, um, you know, areas of the health and wellness. I consider that the overall health, the human health is a system. And you're right. Out there are people that get very advocate to one thing and one thing only. I like to look at this as a wheel. I call it the wheel of health. And each of those aspects is like one of those spokes holding the, the, the wheel of health. So we got carnivore diet can be one. We have um, keto diets. We can have exercising. We have mental health. You're talking about stress, how important, how affect, it can affect in our uh, cardiovascular health, stress, management, um, spiritual health, everything componing all of those spokes on the wheel of health. I would like for you to, to give us like if you if you have to summarize in five different aspects, five to the general people, general population, the listeners that are right now paying attention to your message, five things that you can be doing right now to effectively affect in a positive way your yeah. state of health. So Which ones will be those? I'll start off by saying that lots of times people get really overwhelmed. By like they're trying to get healthier, you know, and they just get all this information out there um, that's coming in at them. And I don't know what to believe. And they just get really overwhelmed. But it's actually quite simple. And like when you're asking yourself, like, oh, is this good for me or bad for me? It's really quite simple. Just focus on what's real. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So there's lots of things in our environment today that are just not real. I, I consider them like hyper realities, um, you know, uh, medicine can be seen as a form of hyper reality blood work can be seen as a hyper reality these are or or even um you know the medical research can be seen and as a hyper reality these are things that we consider more real than what's actually real right so 
when I talk about if I'm going to give you five things that are best for your health or things that you can do, it's focused on the things that are real. Okay. So things that are, are, are real in your life. So that means get real light, not process light, not modern process light. You know, you want to get real light at as many different times throughout the day as you can. Uh, you want to eat real food. Okay. So stay away from these, these very processed, these fake foods with all these different crazy ingredients and things like that with all this flashy packaging, like eat real food, um, you know, and focus on those animal foods. Cause that's, what's, you know, really going to, um, um, nutri um, uh, you know, uh, nourish your body, have, uh, you know, real contact with the earth, like tell your body where it is and what it's doing. So put your feet directly on the earth or put, you know, your, a, some skin exposure directly to the earth. Um, you know, that's, that's real. It's not these man-made concrete and rubber and things like that. It's actually what's real, what humans have been around for, um, you know, millions of years, um, have real relationships, you know? So, you know, these days we are literally, um, we have so many different relationships. Many of them are kind of virtual, right? They're not, um, you know, we have like millions of Facebook friends, but how many of those people are really like someone that, you know, we connect with and know, Right. Yeah. And, and how many times, you AI know, is unfortunately coming. it's, uh, it's getting harder and harder and less common that people go out and see each other, um, face to face and have real relationships, you know? And so, um, you know, cultivate those real positive, loving, meaningful relationships. Um, those are really, really important. Um, and stay away from the more superficial or toxic or virtual ones if you can. Um, obviously there's benefit to staying connected to people, you know, through technology, that's okay. Um, but never, but never let those replace your real in-person relationships. And then I would say, you think about a, you know, a real, a real, um, electromagnetic environment, right? So that's very important. Be very conscious of, you know, these, these frequencies that aren't necessarily compatible with our bodies. We're all letting off an electromagnetic field. Every living thing is right. And the earth is letting off an electromagnetic field. And those electromagnetic fields are compatible with our physiology. They're going to tell us to do good things, but there are these, you know, more man-made electromagnetic fields like the Wi-Fi and the cell phones and the, and the radio towers and all those different things that aren't so compatible with our physiology and can scientifically prove and have negative effects on us. So as much as you can be conscious of those and reduce exposure to those and focus on getting real electromagnetic exposure, like from the earth or, you know, being in contact with other living things. Um, those are the electromagnetic fields that are, that are really important. So, um, so those are the things that I I'd say focus on. And, you know, when you think about what you're exposing your body to is again, think about what's real because that's the only thing that we really know creates health in humans and all these other man-made things and these modern day things um, may be more convenient, make our lives more fun or something like that, but they can have negative effects on our health and they're not real. They're, they're not um, what's been there for our physiology for millions of years. Are you hopeful of the future and with all of this technology and advances, um, where do you see that the evolution of the heart diseases treatments and preventions are going. Yeah, I think people are smart. Um, I think people will figure it out and they will make the right decisions. They just need the information. And so if the information, which is why I do things like this, because I want to get the information out there, even if people, I don't necessarily think that I'm right. I, I, you know, like I think that I'm, I'm right, but like people don't believe me, fine, go prove it to yourself, you know, go do the information, but, but care enough to actually go prove it to yourself rather than just listen to people. You know, so that's the important thing, because once you start investigating, um, I think people are smart enough that they that the right decisions will be made and that will push humanity in the right direction. But if we just sit back and listen and do as we're told and, and whatever, then I think that's that's a that's a recipe for for maybe humanity going the wrong direction, because I think that there are people out there who, you know, who, you know, intentionally or unintentionally want humanity to go a certain direction. And so we have to kind of wake up and advocate for ourselves and, and learn for ourselves um, and, and take back control um, of ourselves and, um, you know, especially our health. That's, that's the, kind of the first step. That is great. Thank you very much for that message. And for you, my audience out there, all the information of Dr. Stephen uh, who's is going to be in our description box along with the links to his website, his social media outlets, and his book that you can buy now in Amazon and other uh, retailer stores. 
get it, get informed. We have information at our fingertips. It's time to take control of our precious health because this is uh, the life we have and we it's our given right to live happy, longer, That's right. healthier lives. Why not? Just, just go for the run, go, go healthy, go happy. So thank you, Dr. Husi, very much for, for all of your wisdom today. And I hope to have you next time in another topic. Um, thanks for everything that you shared with us today and the message of hope and empowering our audience to get control of their health, their nutrition, their relationships, real light, get outside people, don't stay in your houses, go get real sun and get in contact with nature and your loved ones. This is very important. Get whole real food. Appreciate it, Dr. Husi. If you like the content of the podcast today, please subscribe and hit the notification button so you will be notified Every time we bring a new expert, a new doctor, a new specialist in health and wellness, teaching us this wonderful information, so useful to you and to many others. And please leave your comments below. We love to hear from you. And if you be so kind to give us a five-star review, that really helps us because our content will be found for many other people looking for this information in health and wellness. I want to remind you that this content is brought to you totally free of charge. And we appreciate your support. Please go to the description box and visit the links of our sponsors that really help us to keep the mission going on spreading the word on health and wellness. Thank you very much. And remember, until next time, health is wealth for the body, mind, and soul. Thank you very much for listening. And if you like the information that we shared with you today, please subscribe to the Express Soul Health and Wellness podcast and follow us in the social media outlets of your choice. Until next time, please remember, health is wealth for the body, mind and soul.